<laughs> it's not that bad, come on, man. Welcome to the Flick Lab, the podcast where two highly educated film scholars hold erudite discussion panels fortnightly about highbrow class art films such as zombie strippers. <laughs> and, and speaking of high class, and those that are the, of, of global cinema, that is the Oscars. Is once again, it's it's continuing on our podcast. We are checking out the next two candidates for the best foreign one. Here's Henrik. What have you done for art of cinema? Well, absolutely nothing. At, at least at, if we stay within the definition of art. Where has all your hours being in the University of Lapland gone to? Any useful or should I maybe not join your Master of Arts classes? <laughs> Hell, I wouldn't join my Master of Arts class. Especially <laughs> if it's my class. So much for the Masters, but... You are living in Finland, I believe. <laughs> at, at least, at, at least for the moment. T- yeah. Tomorrow, this may be the the joint federation of Russia, but well, t- today it's it's still Finland. Yeah, that thing. Well, we are yeah. we are we are a political podcast, obviously, but we did some graphics updates recently for the podcast, just to let you know what's going on lately. If you didn't know. And if you didn't, at this point, this point you have to know what's going on. Yeah, especially my name, which is Kari. I'm living in Malaga, Spain, also a Finn. Not scholarly in any way, but I did study media, but not on the university level even, so I can't boast with anything here. But Henrik is an actual, fancy, real-life university student. And, and we both do have at least some like industry experience. Oh uh, Yeah, we do. Well, we can boast with that, if you want. On today's episode, it's Oscar nominees for International Best Picture Part 2. Yeah, it's posting and roasting. Yeah. So, what do we have on your, our plates today, Henrik? Today, we are actually going to the, to the Asian territories. Are also pretty nicely presented in this year's uh, Oscars. We are visiting Bhutan and Japan. Bhutan for the first time in this crazy podcast, which has traveled to many interesting locales, but Bhutan, first-timer. Yep, it's uh, also like Bhutan, first-timer as as a cinema viewer. Yeah, is your doggy doing okay there? I'm about to strangle <laughs> So what we have in our hand is a Japanese and Bhutan film, and the first one is a three-hour sub-commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that the, the first one to drive my car comes from the now famous. The Asia has realized that film is cheap if you ch- shoot digital school of filmmaking and shoot 900 turbo red one. <laughs> it does stick out pretty well in the in the scenery. I have to agree with the director. Well done. He, God, God, God damn it. If, if Saab isn't a sponsor um, of, of the film, 
I don't know who has messed up, but somebody has messed up royally. And the director is Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Have you seen any of his other films, Henrik? Yeah, no, unfortunately not. Yeah. I kind of do feel like to get, get already into into some spoilers with my overall with my overall opinions on on Drive My Car. I have started to think that it's perhaps a, a disservice on my end not to have actually checked out Hamaguchi more. Well, now you get to check check him out quite a bit. But you may have seen some films from the films that are the, the, the kind of inspirations for the director are some names like Quentin Tarantino, Wong Kar Wai and John Cassavetes. So those we might have witnessed. And I can see also the, definitely the inspiration from Kiarostami and the cars. Though I would argue that the way that the cars are done in this film, I'm, well, I don't get such of a interesting depiction of, of life inside cars as it was the case for Kiarostami. But that, that was apparently his inspiration, artistic direction he wanted to go with the car scenes. Skiarostami as inspiration. Okay, so what do we have here? Drive my car. We have basically three main characters of Kafuku, played by Hidetoshi Nishijima, known for several films, The Wind Rises, Tokyo Rendezvous. Also haven't seen any of his films, but a very established actor indeed, with 110 credits to go with him. And Misaki, played by Toko Miura, and Takachuki, played by Masaki Okada. And plot-wise, we have, well, pretty simple triangle drama fused with a pretty he- heavy amount of industry masturbation. Before we go to masturbation, Henrik, um, I feel that th- this is now the, the the prime favorite of the crowd, that they most people wish that this would be the Oscar winner this year. And it did win Palm d'Or in three categories already, so I can see where that is coming from. Unfortunately, by checking out the film, I'm not sure why, but we'll get to that. So, four nominations in the Oscars as well. Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director... Uh, best international feature best, film. Best sub commercial. Best, best, best. And it's the first Japanese film ever nominated for Best Picture in the Academy Awards. And this is what we call in Finland Ihan Vitulinen Taideherppäys Henrik. It's not that bad, come on, man. <laughs> well, like I said, I don't really get the fuss over this film. Like, I really, really don't. I tried. I watched it twice. My God. So first of all, the theme of this guy going through his grief via a play script, and then he this kind of loses the novelty for me pretty fast. Like, then we're left with this guy who is trying to get over his dead wife for the remaining two hours and twenty minutes of the runtime. Once she finally dies, um, yeah. Thoughts on that? Like, uh, how much fun was it going through, like, uh, uh, understanding his grief, going through his grief for remaining of the film via the script? Well, did you open uh, to open up the discussion here? I, that the first thing I have to state is is to you, man. So welcome to the, this uh, this side of the elephant. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh, pr- pretty much, I I get the feeling that. 
this is the film where we now come from the opposite ends of the of the whole elephant discussion where you connected very strongly with the film and I didn't form that much of a connection and this time around I actually did connect pretty well with the film and I did quite enjoy it. You asked how I felt about spending two hours and 20 minutes just following one guy trying to get over over the dead of his, death of his wife. And the answer is I really did get into the mindscape or, or his headspace. And I did enjoy enjoy that journey almost as much as the main character seemed to enjoy, you know, your laser tribe with a sob. Oh God, and there's quite a lot of that. Uh, on top of that, we have this the co-star who fucked his wife, and he's a complete Lothario, always open about it. But our protagonist does nothing to put the guy in his place in in any part of the film. Of course, you can take the stance that is also in the short story that this film is based on. That he's just, just trying to. He's somehow really interested in this guy, wants to study him and understand why he has done what he has done but i just found it really jarring especially in the part where he admits that he has been fucking the co-star actress the the other one this chinese woman i believe and he doesn't have any reaction to that really yeah then again you know what really to react to like two two of your actors are are fucking each other so what as as long as it does not harm the production itself like obviously obviously that is is somewhat of a risk like now the actors are extremely emotionally tied to each other so basically anything that happens in their relationship can can easily bleed into their performance in the production the risk of course is there but at the same time it's two grown-ups fucking yeah, but not only that, and then I'm trying to understand what the hell is the movie trying to tell me when we have this 89 born born guy who is fucking everybody left and right, and then we have really bizarre revelations about this co-star where he is revealed to have had even relations with an underage woman. <laughs> yeah, that came from nowhere. Yeah, why? Yeah, why? And I, 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 after his arrest, we no longer uh, hear uh, from uh, him. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, <clears throat> So, so fuck it. Let's get to the, the spoilers. Yeah. Um, so in the in the film, the younger male male lead goes on and and mocks some rando who who has been taking photographs of him. It's been kind of a hinted that he has some I I guess camera shyness or something like that. He's really uncomfortable with people taking his picture. That might tie into the whole underage thing. That we get land on on later, but anyways, there's a rando with a camera gets mugged. Later on, dies in the hospital because of the mugging. This is the the actual crime that the young lead gets arrested for. And like you mentioned, the underage sex affair thing. It comes after the male lead has already been arrested, mm -hmm. and he has confessed to the crime, meaning that he's already going to stay in jail because there's going to be the whole trial thing about you accidentally killing this person. So I, too, I don't understand wh why in 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 the name of all that is, that is holy, the movie then 
all of a sudden just you know decides to add then the news broadcast that just say, states that oh oh yeah you know on top of them the mugging which basically already served all the narrative purposes he's also has has been arrested for uh, with sexual activity with a with a minor yeah and at the at the end of the day with all of this I can see nothing much worthwhile to take from this character in the story. Like he's acting like a total lunatic, and and even the heartfelt words that he has in the car to what's his name, Kafuku, yeah, about the lead lead's wife. This means nothing after he's taken into custody over killing or manslaughter and apparently supposedly pedophilia. So what the hell movie? And and how is that? comment in the car even so pertinent to, to anything what is he trying to say that yes we both loved this woman and he was honest about it yes what what do you want to say yeah yeah i like like to to look at the the whole thing as a in 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 a form of a narrative structure i guess the pedophilia was added to the plot so that there is a reason why the young male lead has already once lost his career. It's something that gets remarked two times pretty quickly in the film that he was on the rise career-wise, and then some, and then all of a sudden, when the story proper starts, he's he's on a downward spiral, which makes him desperate. So he comes into the Kafuku's produ- uh, production. Uh, th- does it really need that to to explain? Like, or did we really need the pedophilia in yeah. the background in order to have the young male lead be desperate enough career-wise to come into Kafuku's produc- production? Yeah. Not in my opinion, no. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, what I suppose this character is there to serve as, he's supposed to, at the end of the day, he's supposed to serve as some kind of a partial absolution for Kafuku to move on with his life and accept how things are because because of the fact that Takatsuki is described shown as such of an asshole that Kafuku is supposed to kind of get over it quicker because well you know he's just this this kind of immoral guy so I shouldn't really pay much attention to it which is also bizarre because isn't this supposed to be a big character study moment? Like, hi, I fucked your wife, and now I want to... And now the lead character wants to know why that happened. But there's no really answer other than I'm an asshole. I took it that the point or point of, of it all was to have some reason for Kafuku to voice it out that he did know that his wife was sleeping around with other men because it's uh Kafuku's wife it's it's not shown to the audience it's it's like one of the last revelations that the three-hour movie has on its sleeve but it turns out that Kafuku's wife was something of a serial adulterer yeah uh, the the young male lead was not the first first out of marital bed sexual encounter that that the wife had had most likely also not the last one yeah and kafuku had has uh, had been aware of this 
basically from the get-go, mm-hmm. I, I took it. The, the film itself only shows you the moment when Kafuku sees his wife and the young male lead in bed together. So for the longest time, the audience is under the, the expectation that the, the wife cheated on Kafuku only once. And then in the, in the final revelations, it's turned out that no, the wife was doing this constantly. And Kafuku was well aware of, of all the cheating, all the cheating that was happening. So I guess the discussion, or my guess is, is that that discussion was there in the film so that there would be this emotional moment where Kafuku would confess that he did always know that his wife was having a serial of adulterous affairs. And then in in the movie, clearly because of this reason to explore this serial adulterer, he puts Takatsuki into the lead part, which is meant for an older person, but Kafuku wants him to stay in in the lead role so that clearly that he would learn something from it, from this older character's role and how he describes, Kafuku describes it as a very kind of a training role where, yeah, that that's the reason why he says that he doesn't want to play the lead, lead role. It could be just that he's saying it so that Takatsuki can play it. But yeah, it seems to be having a training effect and takes him to the deep end. Yeah, and with that, we get to the masturbation part of the industry, masturbation, which I believe is one of the explaining reasons why this movie in particular got nominated for for a candidate for, you know, best foreign film. Because with that plotline, with Kafuku casting Takachuki as the male lead, like the director who knows that my wife before her death slept with this guy, I'm still going to cast him into the main role of my new stage production. I took it that that was kind of the, the, the film going on with, with its main main thematic point, which would be art as an, as an healing process, or art being something that, brings people together and can heal something that is broken inside of you. But it's never really clarified what, what this play is supposed to heal and... Well, for for Kafuku, at least on my reading, the whole production, essentially, and everything that ties into, you know, producing that production or directing that production, it all leads into Kafuku... Becoming, being able to become to terms with the facts, how his marriage with, with his wife was, and also being able to look someone who he knows has been sleeping with his wife straight into, into eyes and like, like letting it go and letting it be. Yeah, I feel that some of the nuances might be still lost and this make this makes this film kind of feel like very elitist because the play is a Meiji era adaptation of Anton Chekhov's Uncle Vanya. And if you don't know the play of Uncle Vanya, I, I'm sure that you will miss something that the director in the, intended to be seen in the film. I could be wrong on that, but I have that feeling very strongly. Are you fam- familiar with the play? 
No, I'm I'm not super familiar with, with the play. I have heard the name, never actually read it or seen it. But yeah. I don't think that it's necessary or it's mandatory to know Uncle Vanya in order to be able to get into the movie. Yeah. But then there's many things that just bother me about the mood of the film. For example, the Kafuku and Takatsuki, how they meet and how they start engage with each other. Like, I think more could have been done to establish why they seem so interested in each other. Both of them want to arrange meetings with each other. Well, mainly Takatsuki really wants to discuss things with Kafuku over. And I feel that the short story explains this better. You know, you get outright explanations of how, how the characters feel in that. So it, it makes more sense. But here it's just getting almost like homosexual vibes. Like, hey meet want to meet me right now and want to meet me again tomorrow and in the, in the film it just comes off a bit unnatural to me okay uh first things first i have to confess i did not read the short story so when it comes to that material i really don't know how the story plays out yeah well it's just a classic case that the book is able to explain more than the, than the film at least in this case yeah and with that out of the way it's Entirely possible that I have mis- misread and misinterpreted some some aspects in in the story because I only have to offer just my reading of of the film itself based on two viewings. Yeah. But but I I saw that like I didn't see the the chemistry between Takatsuki and and Kafuku as homosexual to me. Takachuki's interest in Kafuku was kind of a dualist. Partly he was he was interested or he was interested in Kafuku because Kafuku is the director of the play that he's he's acting on. And Kafuku also is some type of a masterclass director. And I I guess something like, like a Steven Spielberg of, of the theater world world of in, in this film's universe. And Takachuki would like to make friends with Kafuku. Well, uh, partly, of course, because that would be a career move hmm. for him, but uh, also in order to learn as much as possible from this master director, master actor. And with that, there's also Takachuki is kind of haunted, kind of tempted by the fact that he knows that he has been sleeping with Kafuku's wife, does not know that Kafuku knows about this, but but is is still like there. There is this certain type of emotional po- power mechanic going on on Takatsuki's end. Yeah, it is of course an interesting concept, like using the the script very strongly that they are going to perform, and and in this way avoiding the kind of in- indirect words or direct confront confrontation, even though. In this relationship, we, I get, of course, the vibe that Takatsuki, by the end of the day, figures it out that Kafugu knows about this secret relationship with, with his wife. Yeah, Kafugu almost even states it out directly. Yeah. He does not say that, yeah, I know that you personally was living with, with my wife, but... He does state it out to Takatsuki that he does know that his wife did do a hell of a lot of sleeping around. 
What about the dinner with the sign language woman, uh, Korean sign language, and her husband? It's quite of a pointless inclusion in into the, the runtime, apart from the final admission where Kafuku then says that he really likes the the driving of Misaki and approves her as her as his driver. Now, apart from that, it's just getting to know your cast and. Yeah, I didn't feel that this was necessary. Uh, basically, yeah, it also introduces like one one thing that goes be, be behind the main story, like on a thematical level, is the concept of language barriers. Yeah, they basically they have this stage play that they put together. It's it's a combination of three different languages. There's the Japanese language. Then there is was it Korean? There's Korean, Korean sign language. Chinese, yeah, Korean sign language, and what else? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, those three: Japanese, Korean, and sign language are the well, the other languages that I remember. But at least three language barriers are going on, and the whole production is like this elaborate coming together and basically smashing all these barriers and communicating the play to the audience, despite the fact that. Like, not all main characters even speak the same language on stage, and of course the dinner scene it does tie into that theme because that's the moment where the place producer explains to Kafuku how he met his wife, who is the mute actress on the play that Kafuku is directing. Mm. Yeah, one of the points that the director Hamaguchi. Said that why he wanted to have like a mixture of languages, or at least what it does to his movie, is that well, since the actors do not understand the words, at least most of them didn't understand each other when performing these scenes, then it forces the actors to not concentrate on the words so much, but to concentrate on uh, the the emotion and the 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 delivery and uh, body language to perform back to your co-star. So. And apparently this allows for a more interesting acting or different kind of acting, at least. Something that most likely it at least did to was guarantee that this movie would be nominated for Best Foreign <laughs> this year. Yeah, there always has, has to be this special quirk. And there's nothing wrong with that, but this is one quirk of this film. Yup. And, and more than just one quirk, it, it, there is, once again, it's reinforcing the... In my opinion, the main theme, the main statement of the movie, which is that that art is something that transcends all barriers, language barriers vanish in in the face or in front of art that is good enough and a person can heal when he is touched by art. And that's like knowing that the board of behind the Oscars that the ones who choose who gets to win this year it it has like for example many Hollywood directors and actors Spielberg is a member Scorsese is on the board so I can like believe extremely well that this type of message yes art fixes a person and transcends all it's on this higher level of existence where material just kind of ceases to be. That is something that most likely speaks extremely well 
and strongly for, for example, Spielberg, who can then look at look at his own films and be like, yeah, I too create art. <laughs> also, also, since you mentioned the Vitulina Taideherpäys aspect of the movie, most likely that uh, like is is a, a big feature why why this is now competing for best foreign this year. Like, when it comes to Herpäys, this is a movie that has 40-minute prologue, yes. after which the opening credits finally appear. That's yeah. the level of, of artistry yeah, and, and herpäys that we are dealing with. One comment on that was that that is the sign of a, of a great quality movie always when the credits appear like, <laughs> later on in the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was looking at that exact same moment also and was like, <laughs> why movie? I, I, know, I know you are being artsy as all shit, but come on. It's 40 minutes. But before we close on this film, I, I really want to get back to the goddamn car and Kafuku and Takatsuki when they're having the, this conversation. What is he really trying to communicate when, when Takatsuki is tr- sharing the late wife's full story in the car? The story that he she came up when they were uh, fucking. Um, is that to say that if you do something behind people's backs you deserve to be stabbed in the eye with a pen like how how does this story connect with the overall infatuation and love towards the wifey it just doesn't really connect to me but whatever movie that one is pretty hard to crack and i'm not entirely certain if even i managed to really make heads heads or tails about it my take was that there was a dual meaning behind it. The first one is that Kafuku, who has this this image of himself as someone who provides his wife with this amazing sex, after which the, uh, his wife, who on occasion suffers from writer's block or just doesn't produce high quality enough text, now has the eureka moment and like produces this, these amazing stories. And mm. in that moment, Takatsuki points out that that's not the situation. Like that did happen with Kafuku, but it also happened with other people, or at least Kafuku's wife was open about the stories to also the other men that uh, she was sleeping with. And the second point would be to hint into, into this idea that there was some level of, I don't know, disappointment or anger or perhaps mm. fear that the wife felt towards Kafuku. That there, there was there, there was some type of emotional package yeah, that yeah. Kafuku never realized when when he was when his wife was was still alive. And there there was like there was always this one closed door, this one closed off emotion that that Kafuku's wife carried with her that Kafuku never saw. So she, so he didn't know his wife 100% completely. What the audience maybe didn't see coming is that the lead character, Kafuku, decides that he wants to go with his driver 200 kilometers out to the driver's hometown all of a sudden. 
Why? I don't know. Well, the idea is that he can clear his head and think things over. Whether to cancel the play now that the co-star, the main star, is out, out of it. But it's 200 kilometers drive and interestingly it feels like a multi-day drive, like a three-day drive or something like that. It does, yep. Yeah, yeah. And well, they finally get there. And this feels, I'm sorry, but it, it feels really manufactured, this new tied relationship between the driver and and kafuku like now they suddenly have this this shared shared trauma together that one kind of half killed her mother when she was a child didn't help her and then of course kafuku is dealing with the death of his wife and this is somehow try, trying to connect them together i just found it a little forced but it's it's there and nothing really comes of it it's Unless you just think of it as in terms of absolution for the both of the characters in in well, their sense at at least in in their headspace. Yeah, that's like that's what the moment is. It's the absolution moment for for the driver and Kafuku, especially yeah. to Kafuku, who previously has been avoiding. Like in every way capable, uh, conceivable, he has been avoiding. The possibility that he would be act- acting on stage the main role role in in Uncle Vaya in the stage play Go- goes as va- far as as you know cast Takachuki as as the lead just so that he wouldn't have to do it and now Takachuki goes to chair they ca- don't have the time to recast the role and have a new actor to re- rehearse for the role. So it would have to be Kafuku who feels emotionally that he's incapable of doing it because it's too painful. And with this act of absolution, Kafuku finally manages to to come to terms with the idea that he has to somehow keep on living partly for his dead dead wife. And this gives him like, like the emotional strength and the courage to take on the role and Play Uncle Vaya in Uncle Vaya. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens in Drive My Car. There are some differences between the short story and the movie. For example, well, the car color was yellow in the short story. and was switched to red just to make it stand out more. And as I mentioned, it truly does. Um, uh, Some extra characters were added. Obviously, because the, the short story is a short story. It's just 37 pages or so. And it was turned into a three-hour movie somehow. Some words were, or some criticism has been said about the ending. The ending takes place in Korea, where, well, the driver is now driving his car. Uh, it looks like the driver got the car from, I can't for the life of me keep that name in my head, Kafuku's, got Kafuku's car as some kind of a gift, I suppose. And uh, she's with the, with the dog in the car driving in Korea. Yeah, I don't know if if the driver also got the producer's dog. Yeah. The the ending, I uh, it's it's left open ended as as basically all hell. You don't know what is the the relationship between Kafuku and the driver, and the producer and Kafuku and the producer and the driver at the at the very end of the film. Yeah. Did the two form a relationship like the driver and Kafuku? Uh, who knows? Are they friends? Who knows? Did the driver just steal Kafuku's car? 
who knows? Hamaguchi hinted at the end of the film could kind of refer to, to the title very strongly or kind of reveal something about the title. Well, Drive My Car, which is also the direct or is the name of the short story. So that is coming from there de facto. But it, well, if if the car in the title is a symbol for penis, in that case, at the very end, the driver is both driving Kafuku's car and driving Kafuku's car. Oh, but yeah, there was this one who fan who said that the movie would have been perfect without that ending. So Hamaguchi then said that maybe he added that ending, that extra ending, so to speak, to make the film a little imperfect. <laughs> and the crowd laughed when they heard that in an interview. Um, yeah, so that he felt that the ending with the applause wasn't very satisfying. So he felt that the audience would clap along with the film's audience, but Hamaguchi wanted to do something more disruptive, and this was his way of doing it. Okay, yeah, uh, the short story is written by Murakami, and he is, is also the writer of famous material such as Norwegian Wood and Burning, and Burning was translated into a, into a film in Korea recently and won a shit ton of awards and many people who have seen Parasite are also praising that as, as some kind of a... that if you have seen Parasite then you will absolutely love Burning and yeah well both are great films and it would be absolutely crazy if we would not talk about Burning in this podcast at some point like, <laughs> I can't help myself but yeah that's it also in the book I found that it's clearly discussing the dislike of women drivers from the uh, lead character's perspective and that Kafuku is nervous in this book specifically of women drivers but uh, in the film it's more like dismissed like no it's not about that you're a woman I just something else yeah SJWs ruined the story <laughs> yeah I don't know what about the second film of tonight do you want to go there yeah why not so the second one would be the f- Putang. Yeah. Feature yeah. film. Yakdang, A Love Untold. Yeah, uh, which is what the first Putanian feature film to ever be... Oscar nominated. The, the, yeah, well, obviously for, for being Oscar nominated, but also like being put up on, on the, or being proposed by, by the Putanian government as a possible candidate to, to to get a nomination. And is is this like, like the first time for, for that to happen in something like 14 years? Yeah, I just I just heard was it an ABC news clip that the person stated in that that Bhutan had not submitted submitted a film for such of a long time that Lunana was not eligible for an earlier year submission, but uh, somehow I believe it's due to corona that this film is still eligible for for the next award ceremony right now so yeah and uh, the Bhutan was pushing it to be there and here we have it this is an interesting production I mean if you just see the film I mean yes it's beautiful yes yes but if you read about the kind of the background of making the film that makes it even more interesting so this is an actual extremely remote school that is depicted in, in the film where the lead character goes, our protagonist, and said to be possibly the most remote school in the entire world. So uh, if I remember correctly, it was like 10 days of hike to get there. 
10 days of hike from the nearest road. And the director was continuously looking for more and more remote location for his film. I was going through a couple of them. No, not remote enough. And then finally he settled on Lunana, which is, is very known in Bhutan, this location for being so remote. And they weren't at all sure that they could even shoot in the location because, first of all, this is a, a village of 55 or 56 people who are not really familiar with electricity, toothpaste, and all the basic things that we have, like shower every day. So there were a lot of hurdles. And and I understood that there were, it was 65 mules that carried the solar panels and food, etc., equipment of the crew. And then they spent two and a half months in the location, shooting everything. Watching dailies was impossible. So they really had to make sure that they have all the material when they leave it, because when they leave it, they can't ever have the missing pieces ever again. And so, yeah, two and a half months, one shower in the entire time. And Bhutan doesn't have any professional actors, and definitely not in this remote location of Lunana, where all the the main actors were locals. Most of them were locals, uh, the kids especially. And they had no even concept of what acting really is. So how the director approached that was... He kind of turned that into the whole advantage of the production. That, okay, since you don't know how to perform somebody else, then maybe you should just be yourself. And that seemed to work great. So most of the stuff that the kids are talking about in the film, this is something that actually is a fact of the matter for, for their real lives. So it comes off naturally. And basically the only instruction that was given to the kids was just don't look at the box. Don't, just don't look at the camera and just do what you do. Except for one of the last scenes where the teacher, of course, leaves the village and one of the kids, this bright kid here, she's supposed to cry because the teacher is leaving. So, well, obviously this wasn't the real life teacher of hers, but then the director instructed her to think that this would be the real teacher who would be leaving. And then the tears came and they got the authentic reaction to that. So all in all, pretty impressive filmmaking, I would say, in that remote location. And, 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 and they had to use solar power for, you know, using their equipment. Because no ele electricity. Electri the, the location got electricity a little after the, the shooting wrapped. So in a way, that, that place has now lost its whatever it was before it got electricity. So maybe some of that kind of remote magic is now gone after electricity has been introduced and that's the reason why this film nev will never have a sequel yeah could be or maybe it now wins in the oscars and we're waiting for lunana 2 with the 50 million budget <laughs> helicopters around the village yeah which we, which would be like three times more than than the entire pkj of bhutan <laughs> all right so this is directed by Pawo joining doji more or less. Uh, this is his first feature film. A lot of firsts in this film. Also the lead actor, Cherub um, Doji, it's his first film. Same thing with the lead actor. He is actually a musician in Bhutan and was planning to leave his country to Australia. But unlike in the film, he, he didn't leave Australia after this experience that he had. So it wasn't said 
like outright, but it, it felt really highly suggested that because of this experience, then he decided to stay in Bhutan after all. Thoughts? Tell me something about this film. I really like Lunana Yak in, in the classroom. It's beautifully made. Like technically this is, this is a well-made movie and it has a lot of, of heart. In my opinion, this is like one of the feel-good movies, so to say. Yeah, yeah. And that the story is basic as all fuck. That the story is basic as all fuck. There's nothing particularly new in that way that the story is told. You know, there is this disgruntled young kid who actually does have a kind of a... You could say that it's a kind of a growing up tale or coming of age even for, for this... Well, he's supposedly some kind of a university student to become a teacher. And he's sent into this remote location against his will, really. And he's waiting to sort out everything so that he can leave for Australia very, very soon. But then he agrees to go into this location and he is basically a kind of a horrible person towards everybody and is not appreciative of any of this. But once he arrives there, of course, he has to go through this kind of a transformation as a character and even he feels sad about leaving the village. And by the end of the day, he does leave the village, which in my opinion was a wonderful choice. It's, it's, I think it's realistic and it kind of gives this story, this clear incentive of telling a story of change. It's about change. And in fact, our previous movie, Drive My Car, is also about change or getting over something or learning something. So it's a theme of change here. Somehow we're able to make these episodes very cohesive theme-wise again. It's almost like in in 2022, the Oscars have once again found their theme of, of the year, which is change. You get these change films from from all over the world. The yeah. best, best foreign nominees, almost all of them, well, basically all of them are about change on some level. I haven't checked out which what movies are nominated on, on Best Picture and Best Directing, etc. But most likely change, 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 at least in, in some capacity. So I, I'm like the, the cynic in me is looking at all of, all of this and, and kind of going, okay, this year's theme. Yeah, but a great movie, and uh, of course the locations help to make the shots really beautiful. But I like how the camera is set up and how it lingers there in these absolutely gorgeous shots, which do, by the way, suffer quite a lot when watched on a 14-inch laptop. So, God damn it, try to go to see it in the theater or maybe have your projector to get the full benefits of the shots. And at the same time, when when you go to go see this one like keep in mind that you've already basically seen this movie yeah most likely yeah. at least like five times already because what lunana is on its core it basically is a mirror image version of dead Poets society uh lost souls you name it like in in dead poets we talked about how there is this subgenre of of drama, which is the enlightened individual. 
films. You have enlightened individual, usually some type of a teacher or an older mentor, an old man who who think, takes this young kid under his wing or goes into this new school, has to put, he, put heads with the institution, which is a stuck-up, as it was in, in Dead Poets, and then basically the whole thing kind of just, just ends. It, it concludes in some manner, and at the final point, the, the kids, the students, the, the, you know, the pucky neighbor kid, they have somehow transformed because they have been in the presence of this in, enlightened individual. And Lunana is that story, except it's flipped. So now it's it's this young, kind of stuck-nosed kid who is doing his mandatory governmental teaching service that he has to do before he he earn like can leave Bhutan for good. Mm. He's he, he has a five-year term. He has already done four, and he's just waiting that. He can leave Putan, does not enjoy teaching at all, and as a kind of a punishment gets sent into Lunana, which is a remote location, and is is very hostile at the start. It's like, you don't have electricity, you don't have toilet paper, this is a shithole, I hate it here. Mm-hmm. And later on, the place transforms him. So it's a... But, like, outside of, outside of that, that flip that happens... This is very close to, for example, Dead Poets. Yeah, I was I was waiting for what interesting thing the film is gonna do with the ending. Like, I wasn't sure where the, where this was gonna go. Like, is he gonna going to just spend all his life in this village and just forget about the modern life? Here is all I need. I'm gonna stay here forever, which seemed really tacky and unrealistic. And I'm happy that the film didn't do that. I was maybe waiting for something like, uh, well, I have walked this path quite a long way to go back to civilization, but uh, something just struck me. Maybe no, maybe I'll turn back and just spend a little bit more time with my kids. Something like that, but that also didn't happen. He actually goes to Australia, unlike the the, the real person, indeed, in real life. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, the change is the most important part I take away from the film. The protagonist experiences a change in his life, and well, life is all about change. So I think it's an honest ending. It's 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 the right choice to not keep the teacher in the village. It's about kind of like the life's stages. He takes something out of this experience in the village and moves on, or does not. Like with Drive My Car, the very ending of the movie is really open ended. Uh, it does showcase to you that the teacher does leave Bhutan. He follows his original plan to go to Australia and become a musician. He he does that. But mm. the film itself, it leaves the back door open. Because before he leaves Lunana, there is this, uh, there, there is this, this notion, it's actually revo- uh, revisited even, that during the next spring after the after the winter is over the village is ready to wait that the teacher uh, teacher comes back they are like yeah you go away now because the winter is coming but you know please come back during the next semester and 
then there is, well, not the love interest, but, but a lady that the teacher forms a relation with, who, who states that, you know, the Lunana will always be re- here, waiting that you come back. There, there's, uh, and like I said, it's, it's not a relationship, but there is some warm feelings, which may lend some strength to the idea that if the teacher comes back, you know, there's a possibility to get some face pushy. So, <laughs> and she's actually the real life girlfriend of his. Well, that explains the chemistry between the two. <laughs> so yeah, the the door is left open for the teacher to come back, and when he's being shown, like now being in Australia, being a musician, we don't know. We are never actually told how long he has been in Australia. Yeah, so could be that it's he's just been there like a like two months. It's still you know that the winter break. And he really does come back for the next semester. Or it might be that he tries out for a year and comes back for the... Uh, after that. Finds out that no, Australia really sucks ass. I don't like it here. Gets back into the teaching. Or it's entirely possible that he just stays in Australia. Yeah, I kept wondering why the film wanted to really live inside the film in the bar scene. The whole, hey, I pay you to sing, dude. It it felt so unnecessary, but maybe the intention here is to really highlight that this was a bit of a mistake for the lead character, and he's just trying out and playing in these shitty bars, and it's not really working. Maybe I should go back to this remote village. Another thing that it really wants to highlight is is exactly how amazing the authentic culture of Lunana really is. Yeah, because like how the scene. Re- rolls out is that the teacher is singing with his guitar he's playing the guitar singing some i don't even remember what pop song something extremely casual and extremely basic nobody pays any attention to him he gets somewhat frustrated goes silent that's when the the remark hey i paid you to sing comes and then he starts to sing the yuck herding song that he learned while he was in Lunana. And the bar goes silent and every every patron is just looking at him in awe. And that yeah. never happens in, in bars. Definitely not in Australian bars. <laughs> but but it's it's a it's a traditional Lunanan song. So of course it's it's more than music. It trans it's art. It transcends all boundaries and fixes you emotionally. Something something. Apparently written by the King of Bhutan a few years ago. Yeah, if the film wanted to even further enunciate that maybe he's coming back the next spring, maybe this whole guitar scene at the bar in Australia could have been intercut with aerial shots of the village and that the winter and the snow subsiding, something like that. But no, it didn't really need to do that. No, it it keeps it open-ended and let's the audience to read whatever they want into the ending. Yeah. Well, at least the fact that the whole crew was really smelly throughout the production. Like <laughs> one shower in two and a half months and uh, all of the cast and crew living in the quarters of the local people, I guess on the floors. And yeah, they don't have beds, at least not beds as we understand beds in the location. So, But, you know, something, it, it's a great advertisement for Bhutan. 
for <laughs> tourism. Uh, I, I surely would love to visit Bhutan after seeing such landscapes and such remoteness. I'm a Finn, so I like my silence and remoteness. Yeah, but not Lunana. No? Not now that they got electricity and the whole place is practically raped by modern technology. Yeah, that's true. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, well, well. Quickies, I suppose. Special mention for an actor goes to... I give this one to Hidetoshi Nishiyama, who played Kafuku in Drive My Car. All right. I just uh, gonna give it to Sherab Dorchi playing Ugen Dorchi, the lead in the Yak or Lunana. Bring to attention some very small role in the film that you found somehow worth highlighting for whatever reason. It would be Lunana as a shooting location. Yeah, <laughs> very small role. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's it's a nuanced role. It's a silent role. Uh huh. Well, for me, this goes to the guy shouting at bar something like, "Hey, mate, do you all what the fuck? I'm paying you to sing." <laughs> uh, maybe you could argue unnecessary as said, or well, it's a scary guy. Performance, I guess, is fine. It's a scary. What resonated with you the most, the least? Uh, from my end, it's a question of most, and that would be the heart that both of these films did have. Yeah. Yeah, well, for me, it's it's the change. <laughs> Growing as a human, overcoming some things, or learning to live with some things. So, changes resonated with me here. But in one objective, Henrik, how would you describe these films? It would be traveling, because that's kind of the main, main thing that main characters do in both of these movies. They travel to some place, both physically and emotionally. I will start with the three sim- same letters, but I'm going to go with transformational. Any quotes? Uh, no. Mm. Well, Takatsuku's notions in the car were somewhat interesting. You live with such a lovely person for over 20 years, and you should be grateful about that. That's my opinion. But even if you think you know someone well, even if you love that person deeply, you can't completely look into that person's heart. You'll just feel hurt. But if you put in enough effort, you should be able to look into your own heart pretty well. So in the end, what we should be doing is to be true to our hearts and come to terms with it in a capable way. If you really want to look at someone, then your only option is to look at yourself squarely and deeply. That's what I think. Do you think the films have any staying power legacy? I do believe that these ones do have. Hmm. I guess it depends on if they're going to win the Oscar, but but even then, I don't know. People probably won't remember these films. There's a lot of Oscar contenders, Oscar winners out there. I, I didn't find anything so transformational that you couldn't forget these films within a week. Maybe... Lunana is going to stay with me a little longer, though. But I don't know if these are so amazing to, to stick out for years and years. Yeah, I, on my end, I read, did strongly feel the emotional connection that these films wanted to, to evoke. Of course, these being kind of Oscar con- nominees, it's, it's, it's a whole own can of worms to open. Yep. But how would you put the films in order of preference? Uh, from these two, it's not an easy task, but I would raise that race drive my car as number one, and Lunana would be number two. 
Mm, yeah, this as said, many things didn't quite click with me with drive my car. I'm just gonna go put Lunana first, drive my car the second. That's my honest answer. Complete the sentence, mister. You really know you're watching Lunana and drive my car when? When you are reheating your yak dung with solar power. <laughs> I couldn't break this into one. I had to split it into two. So enjoy. So you really know you're watching drive my car. When the protagonist admits to a guy who fucked his wife that the aforementioned wifey was so engaged with the relationship that she came up with screenplays while having sex with her husband and nobody cracks up laughing their entrails out. <laughs> Come on, man. Somewhere there, out there there's Scorsese who's wiping tears from his eyes and being like, oh yeah, I really know that feeling. It's, it's goddamn art. Tears of laugh. <laughs> now I'm that that's that's like that line of reasoning and believe the belief like, like the whole notion of of combining sex and art, sex and writing as it's in drive. It's something that kind of slips into the the whole the the part of of Oscars so like like hot knife slips into the butter in into butter. <laughs> but you really know you're watching Lunana, a yak in the classroom, when your real-life aspirations get cancelled after a screenwriter's fictional version of you compels you to art first imitates, re imitates real life and then real life copies favorite parts of art to reality. Something like that. Did you like these films? I I did quite a lot, in, in fact. I did have my problems with the films. But overall, I did like them. Yeah, I would be ready to get a third go, proper go for Drive My Car at some point. But I really, really didn't care for Drive My Car this time around, I have to, I have to say. Lunana, yes, I liked it straight off the bat. But would you watch watch these films again? Uh, at some date, yeah. I'm I'm gonna give a yes to this question. I'm fairly certain that I will watch these two again at some time. Yeah. Again, uh, like I said, I I will see Drive My Car at some point just to see what's so freaking great about it. But, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I will figure it out. Lunana, yeah. I I was I I strongly believe that you would would have been more warmer to Drive My Car. Right, what happened to my heart for Tide Harpers lately? <laughs> would you recommend these films? I would. I would. Yeah. Um, Stronger recommendation for Drive My Car. They, these both are, in my opinion, really well made, really good movies. I would say they are great movies. Mm. Both of them. Uh, with Lunana, however... Like, I absolutely do recommend you check out Lunana. But at the same time, I do also recommend that you keep in your mind that it's it's not going to be anything groundbreaking. Like, I warned, you warned here that Lunana is, is basic as all hell. It's something that most likely everybody has already seen. If not in this narrative construction, then in the American version in which the, it, it's the individual that changes the institution somehow. Like, at least that that version of the story 
I would say everybody has seen it's 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 the Dead Poet Society. It's basically any teacher narrative that has come out of America ever. They all told that same story. And Lunana tells that same story. Certainly, yeah, there is this switch. Now the teacher is the one that get, that changes in the course of the experience, but but still, even with that, you have seen Lunana. And story-wise, it's not going to be anything like mind-blowing. It's not going to be anything groundbreaking. When you watch it, watch it for the heart and the warm emotion. Like this is Lunana is very much a feel-good movie that has a bittersweet ending. And if that's your mindset, I'm gonna watch something that I that that it's not gonna blow me away as a story, but that is going to be a feel-good experience for me, then I would say that Lunana works. But, but that has to be your your entry idea. And what I would say that sets Lunana apart from many of such films is the authenticity level. That, yeah, it everything feels very authentic and kind of effortless and beautiful. And it's just everything chills really well. It's the location, yeah, brings the beauty to the film, but... Just the character interactions, yeah. There's something different about it. And uh, yeah, that difference is that it's quite real what they are what, what they are giving you. Yeah. With all that be- being said, I-, I guess we also... Oh, well, hell, I will tackle quickly also like the-, the four films that we have now seen from the best foreign category. Mm. And like, like how great this once again is is since this is the oscars um uh, i don't know if we are capable of of seeing the norway's nominee worst person in the world we i i guess we try to check it out and if if we do and we are able to make it make an episode about about the film like somewhere around the the oscars in in that case most likely we will talk about more about, you know, Oscars as an award ceremony in that episode. But to quickly kind of recap the four films that we have now seen, these are in the category of best foreign. And what that means is that whichever film wins the category, it basically states, at least from the Oscars perspective, that this film is the best non-american film made you know in a year 2021 or 2019 in Lunana's case mm. um but but anyways it's the best film done in in the whole world if not in counting american movies <laughs> and i honestly don't know if like of course that sets up some great exp- uh, expectations like of course you immediately think that that film is going to be something extraordinary, mind blowing. You will never look at you know the art of cinema in the same way again because this is like the best film that the whole world outside of America has been able to produce. And is any of these four films like on that level so mind blowing? Well, they are. They are. They are like they are really fine movies perhaps the hand of god mm. but but you know a well made solid 
films recreate time, I do recommend three out of four, but once again, not that mind blowing. Like even I, I wouldn't take Flea or drive my car and say that, you know, this is this is the best film that was, you know, the entire world was able to produce. Yeah, well, I will give you that it, the category itself is fucking ridiculous. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you cannot have like the, the best film in the entire world apart from America. Just like, the, the, how do you even? Of course, these are really hand-picked films, and a hell of a lot of bias has been involved to select these films hey, out of the entire world versus you know the all-important American cinema, which is above everything else. But uh, I'm also having some trouble sorting these films. If I would give like a list thus far how I would sort these films, my feelings towards these films have perhaps shifted a little bit, uh, mostly perhaps towards the hand of God. But how I feel right now, it's it's an interesting list because if you're into my lists, I don't know why you would be, but in my first position would be Lunana, then perhaps Flea, then the hand of God, uh, the hand of God, the hand of God. <laughs> And the drive my god. Drive my hand. <laughs> drive my god. Yeah. Um, yeah, on my end, like, like the odd one out is, is easy for me. That would be the hand of god. Okay. Like most, most skippable. Most not, uh, you know, Oscar worthy of, of these four films. Okay. Uh, when it comes to the, the other three, however, well, that gets extremely tricky for me. And they are, they are like really close to each other in, in my books. Yeah. The, the order of preference, I guess, would be Lunana, Bronze, Flea would be Silver, and the Oscar goes to drive my car. But like I said, really even competition with these three, three films. Yeah. Any ideas of what's, what's going to be the winner of the show already? What's your feel? I, well, um, do you even want to go there? Well, I can, I can take a stab at it. Um, I'm going to say it's not going to be the hand of God. Okay. Yeah. With, with the, with the other three that I can talk about, not having seen the Norwegians candidate, um, well, politics and biases are going to play a heavy role here Always. behind the, behind the scenes. Lunana is, is gonna earn some heavy points for the fact that it's Bhutan feature. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to, like, I, I gave it a shit for, you know, the, the kind of the, the basic narrative structure. And I do believe that it, Lunana is going to heavily be forgiven that fault. And the board is going to look at exactly how how nice the movie feels. You know, because it's it's a Bhutan feature. I will give some thoughts on that as well. I think Lunana is really really strong here because you know Hollywood and America they love these fairy tale shit stories. Yeah, they and do. And Lunana, yeah, Lunana is coming from this super small country that doesn't have professional actors. Yada yada, and all the troubles that this film went through to to get to this this stage and i believe it was selected really for the fact that it has these qualities this really underdog quality and yeah. so i'm not sure but but that would be the great thing like 
gave us such of an exposure for this small country with not really a lot of movies coming out. It it would make sense in that political sense that they like to do there. Flea, on the other hand, well, we have seen uh, kind of things like this before. Then, yeah, the animation stuff is kind of cool, but yeah. Yeah, but then again, Flea also is like politically extremely topical. And it is like global political message that carries that flea carries like like the refugee immigrant status yeah. thing and no, there is yeah. the gay identity thing both also like hot ticket topics for the the oscar board they really eat that stuff up also so flea benefits a lot from the political aspects of of its story the flea benefits a hell of a lot from the ukrainian war i would suppose like, uh, that most likely too. Uh, probably when this podcast episode comes out, there's already way over one million Ukrainian migrants coming to Poland and other European countries, Moldova, etc. And so this might be, yeah, this this is might be something that the the Oscar ceremony wants to say about politically. Yeah, and drive my car. On its corner, it has basically well, well, it has all the the industry circle jerk yank going on. Mm. But like the whole, oh my god, art is this phenomenal thing that does does this all, and it has the artistic presentation, which most likely is something that that Spielberg will like cream his pants for. He's gonna be looking at it. Oh, it's forty minutes at the. Until the opening credits, you know, start. What a strong artistic statement has been made, and it's it's gonna like like drive my car is it's it's gonna earn a lot of points for its presentation and and the whole look how extraordinary thing art is. Yeah, the fact that it won Pondor, so that's that, that's a big one. But I, I'm gonna say drive drive my car has like huge points because of the palm door and because of the artsy fartsy. Then hand of God is gonna split more people. Uh, so I I would say that it's really not that's that's out of the picture. Let's say the hand the of hand God. of God is is easiest one not to choose from these. Mm-hmm. Like there there's the least political and the least like industry uh, feel good aspects behind hand of God. And Lunana's problem is that it doesn't have really have such of a strong political ethos going on. So, unfortunately, as much as I would love it to be Lunana, it's probably going to be Flea or Drive My Car. I could see that it would be a competition between Flea and Lunana. Mm. And perhaps Lunana could actually win it this year. Simply so that you know the the poor can once again get behind behind the underdog story that Lunana is behind the scenes. But uh, what's gonna be the theme of masturbation regarding this film? What's the thing that brings everybody to tears? Not only that this is a small Bhutan that's the winner, but what's the what's the political message? Precisely that it's it's the small Bhutan. Okay. It's going to be like if Lunana wins, and like these are really nasty statements, like like discussions to be had about a film, <laughs> because 
because the, the, the uncomfortable truth is that it's not going to necessarily be the best picture because Oscars themselves, they are biased and they are political. Mm-hmm. And if Lunana wins, it's going to win because the production has the underdog story behind it. Yeah. And if Leaf wins, it's going to win because it, it has all the political aspects behind it. And if it's drive my car, well, it wins because it has all the industry masturbation behind it. I perhaps also believe that it's going to be free. It okay. it might have been Lunana, or I I would have been strong, more stronger on on the camp Lunana, but Ukraine happened. Yeah. So most likely free. Right. Or maybe they are they fell in love with the gorilla ish filmmaking or this there's many kind of unusual techniques that were used to make lunana happen so that might appeal as well I'm not sure yeah and and then they, they all take us all by surprise and just you know hand of god pick the the hand of god just to say us all that no we are not brutes against netflix movies and that also also happens often that they bring or or the winner is often some film that uh, is like a big production from established makers and just ignoring all the f- small doers. Yeah, that that also happens or or that they give you a award because there's a well behind the scenes pressure to yeah. to nominate to finally award that director like Martin Scorsese, I would say won won his Oscar finally because uh, Scorsese was being famous for being one di- masterclass director who has never won an Oscar. But there's one more film to go from the Oscar nominees for International Best Picture, and that would be The Worst Person in the World. I hope we will still be able to watch it for the podcast. Not sure again, not sure if it's going to be the next episode or not. This is very much happening as we do it, so we're still waiting for um, the film to come available for streaming, I believe, in Hulu service. Yeah, we do our utmost best to be able to see it before the Oscar gala and have the episode out somewhere around the gala so that it would still be topical. We absolutely do try to do that, but unfortunately the film comes from Norway, which I guess is the worst country in film distribution. <laughs> Well, that's pretty much it for today. Dear listener, would you recommend the films discussed today? And, or is there anything else Henrik would like to add before it's time to donate our lap ropes to a remote Bhutanese village so they can use them for waving from a distance whenever their teacher abandons them? <laughs> yeah, but regarding the episode itself, what did you think? Was this complete yak done? Leave us a message on our social media and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, LBRY, and Patreon. And if you head over to patreon.com slash the Flick Lab, you will support us and you will get early, early access to our episodes. You can listen to extra episodes only for our patrons or you can get exclusive access to my nude pictures. <laughs> no, we're not that desperate yet. Getting there! Getting there. And please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps you and everybody and your mother to listen to this podcast and find it. You can send us feedback to lab at theflicklab.com. I'm Corri, and you can follow me on Twitter. And you're Henrik. Where can we find you? 
You can most likely find me from Russia. The things keep escalating as they do. They sure do escalate. And our theme music was created by Nick Revell. Episode edited by The Undersigned. In our next episode, it really re- remains to be seen what's going to be the content of this one. We try to make it the, the Norwegian film, but we can't promise it because the situation is kind of out of our hands. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It's called Streaming Norway. You may have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, see you in a fortnight. Oh, until then.